Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today on my program, I've got Braxton and Jinky Keeft. Braxton and Jinky took a, a major, major change in their life when in midlife they chose to step out of a lucrative career in commodities trading trading, and go on a mission team or at least a go to a small church in the middle of the Pacific Ocean in Guam, which is a territory of the United States. Uh, now they, they're back in Phoenix, but the thing that inspires me about Braxton and Jinky is that although they were middle-aged, had incredible salaries coming in, they chose to give all that up and go serve the mission. And they truly are living a no-regrets life, um, and I'm looking forward to talking to them today. Braxton and Jinky, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, Rob, inspired to be here and uh, excited to share our story. Me too. I'm, I'm excited to share this with everyone who's listening. Can you guys share briefly how you became Christians? I can go first. Um, yeah, so uh, it was 1996, and uh, I'd grown up going to church. I knew the Bible. I even went to a Christian college, but man, I was not living a Christian lifestyle. I was a drug addict at the time, and uh, I got pretty scared because over the new year, I real I realized for the first time how trapped I was um, in drug addiction. So I prayed. And I said, God, I need help. Can you please send someone in my life? I, I need to go back to church. Um, I need to get my life in order. And uh, I love how God answered that prayer. I was, um, this is February, and I was living in Chicago at the time. And I would ride the bus to the L station. The L is the subway there to downtown Chicago. And I remember... Um, getting to the train station. I remember the train pulling up and stopping. And uh, usually you get on at that point, but it, it, it hesitated there for a bit. And then it moved one car forward. And then um, when I got on the next car, there was a young man sitting down there reading a book. And I looked over and I saw he was reading the Bible. And so I turned to him because I was, you know, I was, I wanted to get back engaged in, into reading the Bible. And I said, Hey, that's a good book you're reading there. So he holds up the Bible and he says, good book. It's the book. And I'm like, well, that's a little intense, but I could tell he had a real passion for God. So he invited me to church. He said, you know, I don't drive. He says, but can I, can I arrange a ride for you to come to church this Sunday? I said, sure. So, um, uh, a woman named Dorothy, faithful uh, sister who's who has since passed on to glory but uh she's a jamaican woman she calls me saturday and she invites me she's like hey braxton uh i uh, i just talked to uh this young man named henry um he'd like you you know he said you're looking for a ride to church and at this point i'm waffling a little bit i'm like i don't know i just <laughs> met this guy uh and I'm, I'm doing all that i can to get out of it and then she goes, Braxton, do you want to come or don't you? And I said, okay. <laughs> Appreciate her calling me out, calling me to a decision. So I came, man, the fellowship was incredible. Um, you could see the, uh, the deep love that the disciples had for each other. They asked me to study the Bible. 
And uh, I was really eager. Uh, I studied the Bible for about two weeks. And two weeks in, um, I'm counting the cost. I'm at a, I'm at a midweek service. We were at a hotel. And uh, A.T. Ernison was leading it. And there were several other brothers there. And it's kind of funny. Uh, as the counting of the cost went on, brother after brother after midweek joined it. You know, usually when you count the cost of somebody, there's three or four people. I think there was 15 people in my cost counted. <laughs> Do you really want to follow Jesus? And uh, so I said, yes, I want to make Jesus Lord. And they're like, well, so when do you want to get baptized? I said, let's do it right now. They're like, okay, well, there's a singles devotional coming up in a few days. Um, you know, we could do it then. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I want to do it right now. Right. So we got the hotel manager. They opened up the pool area and I was baptized in a hot tub, February 15th, 1996. Wow. That's awesome. It must've been cold there outside. It was cold. <laughs> Chicago in February is uh, not <laughs> jeans and t-shirt weather. <laughs> That's an awesome story. How did you, how did you, what kind of drugs were you using and how did you overcome your addiction? So it was primarily marijuana. Um, I had tried a few other things. I tried shrooms, um, tried some, uh, you know, sometimes uh, marijuana laced with other drugs, but primarily marijuana. And, um, you know, it's addiction to marijuana is not like other drugs. You don't have the physical withdrawal symptoms, but there's a strong mental mm -hmm. desire. It's very addicting in that way. And, um, you know, just having other people in my life and uh, helping me and talking about it. And, and I was, I think I was just ready. I, God really put convictions on my heart. He tested me early on because a week or two after being a disciple, after being baptized, um, a friend of mine came by and said, hey, let's go smoke. I got a whole bag. Let's do it. And I'm like, no. He's like, I'm like, you can crash at my place if you want. I said, but I don't do that anymore. Wow. And so I, I really believe it was the Holy Spirit that gave me the conviction to say no. Um, that's not everyone's journey. Sometimes you need a lot more one-on-one uh, -on -one interaction and follow-up. But for me, I just said, I, I don't want to live that life anymore. Yeah. So you just simply repented and let it go. That's great. Yeah. How about you, Jinky? How'd you become a Christian? Well, um, you know, I was born in the Philippines and moved to the States when I was eight. And so um, my parents were hardworking parents. They worked two, three jobs. So I had to grow up really quickly and be responsible for my siblings. And... You know, as a teenager, there's a lot going on, lots of pressures. So between 14 to my early 20s, I got into the wrong crowd, just trying to find my way, trying to find my identity, um, very insecure. And so I got into the wrong crowds and I got involved in gangs, violence, drugs, partying, and just saw so many of my friends go down um, the wrong path, overdose on drugs, friends go in and out of jail, had a close friend of mine um, get shot for mistaken identity and was at his burial. And so things that a teenager at that age shouldn't be experiencing, shouldn't see any of those, um, you know, drastic, uh, situations. But I can remember in my early 20s, 
I was tired. I was tired. Uh, and I remember writing a letter to God. And I wrote down, God, if, if you're real, then I need you to show up. Mm. <laughs> I need you to show me because I don't know where life is going to go from here. Uh, I can end up being the next person in a body bag. Um, I need purpose. If there's purpose for anyone broken like me, uh, you need to show me. And so I put that letter away. And within a week, things got even more challenging. I think God was just trying to get my attention because I'm like, I, you got my attention, God. I don't know where else to go. And so God put a non-disciple in my path, but his family and his brother was actually a Bible talk leader. And his brother was, you know, begging him to come to Bible talk. And I can remember him calling me and I had shared all the different challenges that was going on in my life. And he goes, you know what? I think you need to go to a Bible study. <laughs> and he says, you know, my brother has been telling me to come for such a long time, but if you go, then I'll go. Wow. And so we both go. And it was amazing because that's when I was able to meet Patsy and Randy Harris and the Shear family. And they studied the Bible with me. I can remember being at the table, these women not knowing me from Adam. And I'm crying my eyes out, telling my story and all the challenging things that I've gone through. And they just loved me and listened to me and shared God's you know, word and that he has a purpose for me. And so uh, a few weeks later, you know, the guy became a disciple and two weeks later I became a disciple. Mm. So it's just amazing. Just God's plan That's from awesome. the very beginning that he would take me out of such pit of darkness and into his wonderful light. Mm. So were you actually in a gang? During, during that time? No. Um, the guy I was dating was the leader of a gang. Oh, my gosh. Now, Jinky, you seem like the sweetest person in the whole world. I, I have a hard time imagining you dating a gangster leader. But, uh, you know, because you say it, I believe it. But I go, wow. That's, that's an amazing story. <laughs> that's an amazing yeah. Story. And some of the gang life stories I've heard from her are, it's, it's amazing the life that God rescued her from. So. Yeah, there was too many close calls. What part, what part know, of Chicago? I look back what, on that and I'm like, God, you were there every step of the way. What part of Chicago were you living in? Well, we lived in Hoffman Estates, but I guess I was looking for trouble. So we were always out in Fuller, in Chicago, out in Fullerton and Armitage. And that's okay. where a lot of was this drug a, alleys and gangs were. Was this like a primary primarily Filipino Filipino gang or no? no he was Salvadorian Salvador. a lot of Hispanics I hung out with a lot of not a lot of Filipinos it was a lot of Hispanics and just minorities got it okay well how'd you guys meet how'd you guys end up getting married and stuff well why don't you go ahead oh, okay and share. so um Jake and I were converted roughly about the same time, but we were at different regions. And, uh, you know, she, she had had a failed uh, 
romantic relationship over there and didn't go well. That's another story. But um, she came, I was in the North region in Chicago. And uh, I remember I was walking down towards children's ministry for some reason. And I saw Jinky for the first time. And I think I saw a light from heaven. I heard angel voices <laughs> coming down. I said, who in the world is this young woman? And so uh, we went on, um, we wanted some dates. And, uh, you know, at, at the time there was, there was great, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Great dating practices in place. We were going friendship dates, just getting to right. know one another. Right. Um, but... I remember my first date with her and it was like any other date, you know, usually it's very light. It's kind of like, um, you know, what do you like to do for fun? What are your hobbies? Jinky is just like, here's who I am. Blah. And she just shared all the challenges of her life and who she was. And she was very raw. And I was, I was really moved by that. Hmm. I'm like, this woman is real. I want to get to know her more. And so, um, it's kind of like, okay, here I am. You either like me or you don't. Yeah. <laughs> Just put it all out there. And so I remember, um, you know, we, we eventually went on to date. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I'd say nine, nine or 10 months into our dating relationship, um, we were at a Wendy's uh, sitting across from one another, sharing a Frosty. And uh, I remember looking into her eyes and, and, and I, I kind of glazed over a bit, you know, because I had this moment of this is the woman I want to marry. Oh. Jiki's like, is there something on my face? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But any, any other thoughts from our dating life? Or yeah, engagement? no. You know what I appreciate about Braxton was he really cared about how I was doing spiritually. So different from, of course, the relationships I've had in the past. You know, really had to work through trust issues. Um, but he was a dear friend. And he would ask me, how are you doing? What are you learning? You know, how's your prayer life? Like, he really cared about me spiritually. And uh, we just became really good friends. And I think when it was getting close to what, maybe nine, 10 months into our dating relationship I prayed some specific things because I'm like he's so different from anybody that I've ever been with right. I'm like God I need to know that this is from you you have to give me the answers and so I was kind of like Gideon prayed three different prayers and God answered them that's awesome he made it obviously clear so what year did you guys get married 98 okay so you're baptized both in 96 and then you Got married in '98. Okay, that that's great. Mm -hmm. So then you guys got married, but you're in the you're in the full time ministry now, but you weren't at the time. And can you tell me about what you were doing for work uh, prior to going to Guam? Tell me a little bit about um, your your career. Well, for me, I was um, an office manager for a dental practice. Um, I really loved the family dynamic that I had with everyone in that practice. Uh, I enjoyed it, but um, yeah, I was doing that for several years. Mm -hmm. And then you were... Well, then we, when we had kids, Jinky made the uh, decision to be a homemaker, which was wonderful. 
Yeah, I always wanted to just um, be a stay-at-home mom. And, um, but you were, you were, what was your, what were you at at the time? You were in Chicago and you were traveling. Yeah, I was, I started off in commodities. I, you know, my career path was always wanted to be in the financial industry. And so I started off in commodities, worked for a firm uh, there for a few years. And then I transitioned over to the, uh, the stock market side of things. And so investment banking, uh, risk analysis, uh, borrowing against portfolios and that, that type of thing. Okay. And um, so Braxton, so where, 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 where'd you go to school? I went to school at John Brown University in Arkansas. Okay, in Arkansas. Which is a, a Christian college, but I definitely was not a Christian at the time. Okay. All right. That that makes sense. Okay. So you're you're raised there and then you get into commodities. Can you explain for our listeners what, what commodities are for those not familiar with the financial markets? Well, commodities is um you buy contracts that represent a larger portion of something. Like uh, I, I worked in the grains side. So farmers would uh, use commodities to hedge their crops. Uh, you'd buy, you know, a, I'm trying to remember, I think one contract of corn represented 5,000 bushels of corn. And so if a farmer had a bunch of corn in storage in a silo, they would want to protect their price against uh, things like, uh, you know, disease or or their their food spoiling. And so they would, you know, lock in their price by purchasing a commodity It's called hedging. But there's also people that speculate. And the dangers of commodity trading is you have almost unlimited risk. <laughs> like it's not like the stock market. You know, if you buy 100 shares of Apple, and let's say Apple fell apart and went to zero, the most you could do is lose the value you invested. Right. In commodities, you can exponentially lose. The, the market can go what's called lock limit. And so you could um, have four or five days in a row where you can't exit a position in a severe market move. And you know what? You might put up five or ten thousand up front, and you could lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> like gambling, the wild west. If you're a speculator, but there there must be uh, like also a, a positive side to that. There must be an upside that matches that. Is that true? No. Oh, no, there is. I mean, it's you know, people are in it for like from the hedging aspect. Um, that makes a lot of sense for. Uh, you know, whatever your business is, you know, it's to protect your, your company. Um, and it's just like, it's like anything it's, it's corporate America. I mean, people ultimately there to make money. And okay. so it's, it's a lucrative business. Okay. I don't, I don't want to dig too, well. dig too deep. And I did, I did way back in the day graduate with a business business degree. So, uh, but I, I don't want to get too much into that, but okay. So anyway, back into, you went into stocks, you went into the stock market, yeah, and that's and that was actually the bulk of my career. Um, you know, I made my way from like a I did what was called margins. I was a margin clerk, and that's just people borrowing against our portfolio. And then I, you know, after years, I, I worked for a, a company that um, was a smaller firm, but I, I was like the lead guy there. So I got to report to the executives quarterly. Um, I'll tell you what, uh, having having preached before large crowds, you know, sometimes that can be a little intimidating, but meeting in a boardroom with, 
with five or six high powered executives that are way smarter than you are, that is intimidating. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, how much when prior to going to Guam, how much what was your salary? Do you mind sharing what what were you making at the time? So, well, Jinky was a homemaker at the time, but I was I was nearing six figures between uh, salary and um, you know, 401k. I mean, one of the nicest things there is they just put money in my 401k. It wasn't a matching program. It was like, here's 10 grand and you get a bonus every year. Um, that was pretty sizable. And so we were doing very well financially. We didn't have any financial concerns, um, even though Chicago is, uh, you know, the price of living there, cost of living there is, is a little bit high. Um, we, we were doing great financially. No, no challenges, um, no debt. Uh, life, life was pretty easy for us financially. How old were you at the time? Uh, 42, 43. Okay. And how many kids did you have at the time? And we had two, we had just adopted, uh, Rowan from the Philippines a couple of years before that. And, um, you know, well on my way in the financial services industry. I mean, if I had stayed in it, I, I don't know, who knows what I'd be making 150,000, 200,000. I mean, I, I don't know, but, um, I definitely was, I was an expert in my field. There wasn't many people that were doing what I was doing. So, um, you know, there was a lot of potential there for money. That's, that's for sure. Okay. So you're making plenty of money. There's no debt. You've got two kids at home, your wife's at home. I mean, you're, you're living the American dream. You've, I mean, you, no, no stress really. I mean, of course, other than what you place on yourself, you're a fired up disciple. I'm sure you're leading a Bible talk. How did you hear about Guam and what prompted you to go, you know, to, to this small little island in this, in the Pacific? Did you want to share or do you want me to? Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. You're doing your own. So we, yeah, we, we were in Chicago for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I, we were so fortunate to be around uh, elders and evangelists and teachers. Great, great relationships. I think of Mike and Daphne Rawls, Bill and Kim Lasarski, of course, the Arnesons, uh, the Patinos, many, many, many others. Um, but we, we got this sense of we we wanted to give back. You know, we had we'd done we'd done Bible talks, we had done worship, we were part of a teaching ministry, and uh, we were actually leading a zone at the time of roughly three or four family groups. Um, but but we're like, God, is there something else that you want us to do? And so around 2013, we took a year and just prayed. And the prayer, it's it's a dangerous prayer. We're like, God, here am I, send me. Mm. And I tell you what, if you pray that prayer, look out, wow. <laughs> because God will answer that in ways that you never dreamed that he would. And, um, you know, our Jinky and I, when we were young, had always dreamed of going into the full-time ministry. You know, in the, in the 90s, um, we saw a lot of our friends going into the ministry. And uh, sometimes we thought, well, well, why not us? Right. You know what's going on. Um, and so here we are in our forties and we were like, okay, well, that ship has sailed. Right. We're happy just being lay leaders and, uh, 
had great relationships and very stable. Um, so after about a year of praying, our, our good friend Winston Patino pulled us aside one day and says, hey, there is a ministry opportunity in Guam. You know, would you guys consider that? And my first reaction is, what in the world is Guam? <laughs> is that a condiment? Is that something you put on a hot dog? I, I've never heard of Guam before. And so we Googled it on a map, and it's by the Philippines. It's this tiny little island, and you keep zooming in and zooming in. And I'm like, Winston, are you trying to get rid of us? It's on the other side of the earth. You know, we, our first thought was ministry would be like, I don't know, working in Chicago, working underneath the ministry staff. Um, man, go to a foreign country. Uh, it's a U.S. territory, but it's definitely a foreign country. Um, and, uh, and, and lead a church there. Uh, so we, what was that like, babe, for us, just that year of, um, decisions, you know, considering would we, do we want to do this? Well, it definitely was scary, but exciting. You know, uh, I feel like God has poured out so much in the relationships that we've had for so long that, we wanted to do something special. And so I think praying about it, I got excited, but there was lots of fears. Like, could I really just give up everything that we've known and leave all the re deep relationships that I've known and the familiar things and having two kids that are young? I mean, I think Ryan was four and Zach was eight or, and so, I think everything, I mean, I felt great about where we were at, but I think thinking about it sparked a lot of things. And we really had to dig deep into our hearts, like, could we really do that? Mm. And so God made it clear because we asked him to open all the doors or shut the doors, but he kept opening the That's doors. Amazing. That's amazing. Okay. So you're, someone just tips you off that there's an opening in Guam. Guam is, is just straight west of the Philippines, almost directly south of Japan and directly north of Papua New Guinea. I mean, it, it's in Asia. It really, it's, it's way west of Hawaii. It's, it's, it's way out there. Um, yeah, Guam is like, I tell people, if you've ever flown to Hawaii before, Hawaii is the halfway point to Guam. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Okay, so... How old were you guys when you when you went? Probably forty two. Yeah, forty two, okay. forty three, and um, what what kind of a, a change of salary did it mean for you to go there? Oh, it was. Well, you, you don't go into the ministry to make money. Let me tell you that. Right. Um, and, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm I'm pressing you on these salary questions, but I, I think it's 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 inspiring to me. The sacrifice involved just financially, especially in middle age when there's so much sure insecurity. So, I, mean, I mean, the church definitely took care of us. I, I, my salary was right around $40,000. Okay. So you went from around um, hundred and then to... Jinky was hired part-time and she was making 25 or 30, something, something like that. But on top of that, the cost of living in Guam is exorbitant Wow. because you're so remote um, I don't remember the exact prices, but you know, it's like a gallon of milk is like $5. 
uh, a dozen eggs is $6. And so um, you go to the grocery store, expect double the prices that you get today. And, and then on top of that, um, fresh produce, um, it takes a month or so to get there from California. And so uh, you go to the store, it's like buy it today and eat it today. Because if you don't, um, it, it will not last. It would spoil overnight in the fridge. We're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. What were some of the, okay, you moved there. When, when did you move there? So that was in um, early 2015. We, um, you know, we had interviewed there several times and, uh, you know, I, I, I do want to lift up the disciples in Guam. What a faithful decision for them to bring us on because this was kind of a new experience for them. They hadn't hired ministry staff, not like in the old days, you know, in the old days it was, Hey, here's your new minister. And they would just show up. Um, right. There was much more of a uh, global corporate structure, right. but um, this was kind of new for them. And it was new for us because, um, you know, we're like, wow, this is a uh, new culture, new people, um, new experience. And so I do want to say, I'm so grateful that Anthony and Song Galang took us under their wings. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the best advice I got was you need a mentor. You need somebody to show you the ropes and, uh, Anthony and Son Galang um, could probably write three or four books on doing that. Right. Um, but we moved there in early 2015. Okay. So 2015, what were some of the adjustments that you had to make? Well, definitely there was a lot of adjustments, but I did want to say really quick, before we moved to Guam, I prayed for a miracle. Uh, that somebody in my family would come around before we left. And three months prior to us leaving to Guam, my mom became a disciple. Wow, that's awesome. And that was a huge miracle because my mom had studied the Bible six times, and that was the seventh <laughs> complete. Seventh's <laughs> a holy number. Lucky number seven. And, right. And so, um, you know, she'll be celebrating seven years this month. Wow. So that was a blessing. Amen. Yeah. She had said, you know, why would you go there? Why would you move overseas? Right. And I, I really think the decision to do that is what clinched it for her. She's like, you guys are actually living out the Bible. Right. Right. You're putting it into practice. You're putting your yeah. money where your mouth so is. There was major adjustments uh, moving to Guam because uh, every island has kind of a unique culture. Yeah. Um, Guam definitely has a very unique culture. You, it's an island of roughly, I'd say it's almost 50% Filipino and the other half is Chamorro. Chamorros are the local indigenous um, people that have grown up there all their lives. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the biggest change for me was learning how to become a minority. Yeah. Uh, I, if, if, if anyone is, is in a minority uh, uh, themselves, they, I understand how you feel. I mean, I, I would go to one of the malls and every once in a while I'd see another Caucasian. I'd be like, hello, fellow white person. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I think 
what a wonderful culture it was to come into. Uh, island culture is very warm and inviting. Uh, when, when you gather at somebody's house, um, there's no such thing as cheese and crackers. It's a full-on feast. Um, it was common practice. We would be walking on the beach and a family would see us, never met them before. They'd say, hey, come on over and barbecue with us. And so we'd hang out for the next four hours, talk about our lives, share our stories. And then they would send us home enough take-home food for three days. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so we love that. Um, I even got made fun of once because my first time we were having a potluck dinner, I brought a salad. And they're like, what is this green stuff? What, what are you bringing? Where's the meat? Where's the rice? Right. <laughs> So that was big. Um, time change. Yeah. Um, Guam is, I don't know the exact difference. Something like they're 14 hours ahead of us. They're from the future. Uh, <laughs> Guam's slogan is where America's day begins. And so while many of you might be watching Sunday night football, we were watching Monday morning football. <laughs> and so I, I was, Kind of fun watching some NFL games at three or six in the morning. That, that, that was a new experience for us. Right. Um, I think another big change, though, was understanding family. You know, when we think of family in the States, we think of mom and dad and the kids and maybe grandma and grandpa. Uh, if you're from Guam, you think of family as 100 people or more. Oh, my gosh. And so like, a, you know, the Philippines is like this culture as well. It's, it's community. Um, when you walked up to a person in Guam, the first question is not, hey, what do you do for a living? It's who are you related to? Mm. Yeah. And so it was common, Jinky and I would be in the grocery store and we would see people hugging in the grocery aisles and catching up and, hey, I haven't seen you in a few months and uh, talking about their families. And um, that, that was, uh, you know, good for us to understand um, that they looked at family as a very much larger unit than we do and how that kind of blends into everything in their culture. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Definitely slower pace in life. Mm. You know, lots of people were able to spend more time with family. And uh, if we had gatherings, we had to make sure we said three o'clock and we'd hope that they'd be there by four. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, there's not, uh, yeah, you don't use, well, I won't say people don't use watches on the mm -hmm. island, but that's just not a high priority for them. Right. It's like, we'll get there when we get there. That's right. That's right. Now, how, tell, how did it go? Like, what, what, tell me about the church, the situation going into it. How big was it? How did it go? Did the church grow? What, what did you see there? So we, um, you know, the church was around 65 disciples when we got there, and they were faithful. They had persevered through a lot. I mean, the church had, you know, had to weather and almost split at one time. Um, it was, you know, people were excited that we were there, but it was also sobering because um, many of the disciples there felt abandoned. Um, there had been a mission team years earlier that um, were, you know, the leaders and your, your mentors and the people you looked up to. But um, roughly 10 years before we got there, 
they, they, several disciples told us this. They said they all left the same year. So imagine all the people that studied the Bible with you, that you looked up to, that were leading the church within a 12-month period of time, you know, all of those that had planted the church and had walked with the disciples and taught them faith, they all left for one reason or another. And so there was abandonment, there was isolation, there was, um, you know, even a spirit of, well, you know, we're glad you're here, but we know you're not going to stay long. And it was like, whew, you know, there's, there's some stuff to work through. But um, what we did early on is we just focused on relationships. You know, are you in love with God? And how's your relationship with your brothers and sisters? So just, just basic things, you know, let's fall back in love with God. We did a lot of sessions on prayer and your relationship with God and how to build that up. And uh, we went through um, how to, you know, what, what does discipling look like? Um, what, what is the benefit of that? And, uh, and, and even helping correct some mistaken thoughts, you know, discipling is not correction. Right. Discipling is helping people be like Jesus and, uh, you know, to build great relationships with one another. Right. And so, um, you know, when we got there, things, you know, People started to come more to church, and uh, we had some Bible studies going on. Um, the first year, I think we saw six or seven people were baptized into Christ. Um, a, a cool story was toward the end of the year is this couple, um, you know, both placed their faith in Jesus, and then we got to do their wedding um, at the turn of the first year there. So that that was really exciting. Um, but I loved how as time went on, it just seemed like God was throwing people our way. You know, we didn't have these big evangelistic campaigns. We didn't have a bring your neighbor day. We weren't, you know, telling the disciples to go share your faith, you know, for hours on end. We just brought them back to some of the basics. And it seemed like God was just sending people our way because Jinky and I had never been in so many Bible studies. Um, I'd say, we were in a minimum of one Bible study a week, the entire three years we were there, sometimes two and three Bible studies. Wow. Oh my gosh, it was so faith building. And we would study the Bible with couples and a lot of times a married couple would study. And, you know, Rob, you can probably relate to this experience. You know, usually the husband makes it, but the wife is not quite there yet or right. vice versa. Right. Um, here on every occasion, the husband and wife within a week were both baptized into Christ. That's awesome. So, so encouraging. And by the end of the third year there, we saw 37 people either baptized or restored into Christ. Wow. The church passed the hundred mark. I mean, it was super encouraging and we give all glory to God because it certainly wasn't due to our vast ministry experience. Um, it was just God showing off. Well, it's really powerful because one, you never had full-time ministry experience. Two, totally different culture. Here you are, a white guy, you know, leading this church. Three, probably most importantly, church had plateaued and, and been stuck for 10 years or so. To get it growing again is is amazing. And I remember learning about you first. I thought that there was kind of a, was there a hot news video about, about your work there? I think there was some sort of a video of, yeah. of your work. Can you share, I think it was sharing something really inspiring there, some big event or something like that. Can you share what happened? What was the, 
Um, what was that thing that happened? So many inspiring things that happened, but that particular event, we, we had asked the church to do something I hadn't done in 20 years. And we're like, we're going to pray all night long. Yeah. And so we, we had all, you know, I had a brother kind of organize it. And every hour we had different themes, you know, pray for the people on the island, pray for our families, uh, pray for those that are suffering. Uh, and, you know, and then we would have praise in between times, um, just worshiping and singing songs to God. And, um, you know, some of the church made it till about 10 or 11 and that's fine. You know, people have kids and they had things to do the next day, but a faithful few made it till sunrise. And, um, you know, God did something powerful in that because one of the prayer requests is God bring us people that we've never met before. And I get, I get emotional because God did such a miracle here. I remember praying, God, send us people, people we've never met, people no one's reached out to, just bring them. You know, show us that you're all powerful. And so I think it was about a week later, just a normal Sunday morning, we met at the University of Guam um, Auditorium. And the regular folks are there. And uh, about 1030, um, as I'm beginning my sermon, uh, the door is open in the back and we see people start to come in. We saw three and four and then 10. And then, uh, you know, uh, we, we found out at the end there was 40 new people that came that day. It's amazing. And so we're like... Uh, how did this happen? I'm like, Jinky, do you know these people? She's like, I, I've never seen them before. So we grabbed a, about 20 of them. They were students there at the University of Guam. And so we, we took them to Burger King where all good spiritual conversations take place. <laughs> and uh, we said, how did you find out about church? You know, did somebody invite you? Did you see our um, church on the website? You know, we're just curious. And three or four of them said it was like a whisper tell, telling us to come. That's God's voice. And so it was so inspiring to see. Uh, that's how our campus ministry got started there. At the time, there was no campus disciples. Jinky studied the Bible with several of them. They were from neighboring islands in Micronesia, like um, Pompeii. Yeah, Pompeii. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, all these, all these, <laughs> these cool names. Um, but that was so inspiring because we just had to say, that's God's spirit. That's I mean, amazing. we had never even heard of something like that. And it, it wasn't a neighbor day. It wasn't an invitational Sunday, just a normal Sunday. Just a normal Sunday. Gosh, the power of prayer. Yeah, that's so inspiring. That is amazing. Okay, so... I, now, now that the the memory comes back of the of that video. Now, what's what are some of the most difficult? What's the most difficult episode that you faced while you were there? Uh, I'm sure that it wasn't just inspiring, you know, hit after hit, you know, success after success. Every every leadership uh, story has its dark days. Oh yeah, do you want me to share? So, um, yeah, Satan definitely didn't like what we were doing. Um, and 
some of this we didn't find out till well, maybe middle of our third year there, but um, there were some older disciples on the island that were very broken and there was a lot of hurts and they wanted us to lead in the way that they wanted us to lead. And so there was a little bit of a power struggle and we found out there was actually a few couples that um, from the very beginning were against us. And so we would hear rumblings of this, but um, nobody talked to us about it. Nobody came up to us and said, hey, hey, bro, what you did here, um, that really bothered us. Because, you know, I could probably write a book of what not to do sure. as an island minister. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, there were there were some people that were broken and um, just they, they were hurting and had lost their faith. And um, there was really some bitterness in their heart and it really wasn't directed toward us, but it eventually became directed toward us. Mm -hmm. And so um, there was, there was some division. There was some factions. Uh, Jinky and I had to deal with some uh, slander people taking some uh, half-truths and blowing them up. Uh, there was a lot of assumptions made. Uh, and, and some of it was culturally related. Like, I'll give you one example. Um, you know, we, we might say this, the word sir or ma'am or Mr. and Mrs. I mean, Jinky and I are not that formal, but that's... <laughs> You know, there, there was some of that on the island, but it was super important to them, but we did not know that. You know, we did not know that that was so important to address people by certain titles. And there was a few situations where at church where people were shouting at us saying, you're not respecting us and you're not talking to us this, this way. And it totally caught us off guard because we're like, we don't even know what you're talking about. What, what's going on? Um, and so one of the challenges is, you know, this kind of met ahead where this group had influenced a small group of our church and not everybody knew this, but there was probably maybe four or five couples that were really stirred up and they had believed some half truths and slanders. And, uh, we knew some things were going poorly and, I thought it was primarily just between me and a brother that we, we had kind of a falling out with one of our uh, leadership couples over um, just ministry philosophy and how to approach things. And, um, and so we, we asked, you know, some brothers from Hawaii to help out and they came over to help us reconcile some things. And we're sitting in a room with five or six other couples and boy, it, they were not happy. And we had no idea. Oh boy. You know, the culture there is very passive aggressive. Um, they don't say anything. They might hint at it. I remember one time my brother gave me a book. He's like, hey, could you read this book? It might help you. I was like, thanks. But what he really meant to say is I completely disagree with what you're doing and I have an attitude against you. Right. Um, and so that was really tough. And we, we had a moment there where we're like, God, we've never experienced such pain before from disciples. We, we didn't understand how our brothers and sisters could have such anger. And to us, it felt like, you know, if we were driving, here's an analogy, if we were driving a car 
and we accidentally ran a red light, it felt like we were being locked up in prison without the possibility of parole. Right. Um, so that was really tough. Um, there was some low moments. Uh, there was definitely some crying out to God's, you know, crying out to God and, and going through the Psalms and relating to David and some of the things he must have felt when he was going through his struggles. But um, there was a very powerful moment at the end. There's one brother, we're sitting down with another couple that um, were really one of the primary instigators. And he confessed, he's like, he's like, I am the cause of this. I have been against you from the beginning. I have been evil. I've been divisive. I have stirred up people against you. And he said, would you please forgive me? And uh, it was a powerful moment because instantly we said, yes, of course, we love you. And we're so sorry that we're at this place. And what can we do to make it right? And so we hugged one another. There was tears. And there was a powerful moment of reconciliation. Um, I can't say that every talk went that way. Uh, there's still some people there that we love dearly that we would love to be reconciled with. And again, this is just a small group. The, sure. the church at large right. probably to this day doesn't know what went on. Right. If they listen to this podcast, they may have some surprises and questions. Right. But um, did our best to protect. yeah, we did our best to protect them right. and work through it and, and do it God's way. But I think God taught us some powerful lessons there that, hey, Jesus never sinned against anyone. He never made a poor decision. He always did things with the right amount of truth and grace, and yet people put him on the cross. Right. And, um, you know, well, Satan can stir up things. I mean, it just shows you when people don't talk things out, when people don't obey the Bible and follow like Matthew 18. Hey, if there's sin, let's talk it out. Let, right. Let's work it out. If, if that doesn't happen, man, Satan can go in and really disrupt things. Right. And so, uh, bro, it was, it was hard. I yeah. mean, the last six months there in Guam were probably some of the hardest moments of our life. Okay. But we're so glad that God took us through that because it taught us a lot about faith and perseverance. Now, is that what brought you back to the States? Why did you return? Um, you know, that was part of it, definitely working through the challenges. But, you know, at this point, you know, I really missed my family. And um, we found out that my mom was diagnosed with stage four kidney failure. And so, you know, with the challenges and then the anxiety of wondering how my mom's doing, that was a huge part too. Um, you know, they were really supportive when we moved to Guam. Our kids are the only grandkids. So for both side of our parents, um, they really supported that, but they really missed seeing the kids. And um, they were only able to see the kids maybe once a year when they were used to seeing them, you know, every week or, several, you know, once a month. But it was more my mom going through her health situation uh, she's actually doing well right now, but I would say that was one big part. Yeah, yeah. No that way. and of course, the time difference was so hard, you know, being apart from our families, 
it's not just the distance. You know, we would use Zoom to connect with our friends. We were using Zoom before Zoom was popular. <laughs> um, but because of the time differences, we had to catch them at really odd hours, you know, really early in the morning or late at night. And we just missed our families. We missed um, a lot of the relationships we had growing up in the church. And, um, you know, I, I think God in one way says, you know, hey, you've learned the lesson we want you to learn. You know, the God's spirit, you know, telling us we've learned you've learned the lesson that I'm teaching you here. Um, and uh, go back home, catch your breath, you know, get uh, get restored in your faith, um, be built up again. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. Knowing what you know now, if you could do it over again, would you do it over again? Would you go back? Absolutely. Ab without hesitation, because there are... Yeah, there are life lessons there that we would have never learned if we had not have gone. There are certain elements to your spirituality that unless you trust God and act in faith, because God never tells us how things are going to go. You know, he just promises I'll be with you. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes things go really well. Sometimes things don't go well at all. But <laughs> if, if we had to go again, knowing what we know now, absolutely. Because I feel like we're better equipped now. We would definitely handle some situations differently. Um, you know, there's things, you know, we had our part to play in some of the challenges we had in Guam as well. Just didn't ask the right questions. Didn't understand what some of them were feeling. Um, okay. And, uh, well, let me, yeah, let me, we, we let would me, go. Let me ask you this. Uh, why did you guys work as ministers in the Phoenix Arizona church now, why didn't you return to your former work? What, how did you decide, okay, we want to keep doing paid ministry? Well, I remember praying specifically. We prayed different prayers. Um, I prayed, God, you know, we've definitely learned a lot. Uh, it is definitely challenging. Um, but if this is something that you want us to continue to do, I pray that you make it evident in a week. That was my prayer. His was make it evident in a year. Yeah. But God you know, showed up. At a low moment of faith, I wasn't very, I was not very confident that God wanted me to continue the ministry. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'll do a few interviews. Maybe somebody will throw us a bone and, you know, um, you know, I said, God, I'll, I'll give it a year. I'll give it a year. And if nobody wants us to be in the ministry or bring us on, then I'll just go back to, you know, what I did before. Cause I, I could have done that pretty easily. Um, and so I put out my resume and the next day, Gary Shaw Shaw called me. That's amazing. And uh, shared about, you know, things here in Phoenix and dreams. And we just hit it off right away. We became fast friends, prayed together. Um, and he just saw something in me. And I, boy, that was so uplifting for my faith to know that God still wanted to use us in this capacity. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we prayed, we went on some different interviews, um, talked to different churches and uh got you know got to have our wings back underneath us um after you know some battles and um 
yeah, God, God put us here and we're, we're excited to be here in Phoenix. We've been here a little bit over two years and uh, grateful to be part of the ministry here and to see what God's doing. Very, very encouraging uh, how God's brought us to this place. Now, one thing that stands out about, about you, Braxton, is you've got a real soft heart toward God. Like when you preach, even when you're sharing earlier, um, you can be brought to tears very easily. And it impresses me because your heart really comes out. Emotion comes out. What helps you to connect to God? Where, where does that come from? Hmm. That's a great question. You know, Jinky and I were talking about this very thing yesterday. Um, I believe ultimately it's just the attitude of, I want to know Jesus. And I think there's two primary ways that we do that. Um, solitude and Sabbath. You know, Jesus often went to lonely places to pray. Uh, we see that at the busiest moments in Jesus' life, in his ministry on earth, he always got time away from the Father. He put away the busyness of ministry schedule and he'd take a day or, you know, maybe sometimes he took a month. I, I'm not sure how long his times were, but we do know that he often went away. And so we try to practice that. Um, you know, certainly our quiet times in the morning, but um, going off to isolated places, places where we can cry out to God, driving to places like uh, Mugian Rim or Sedona or other beautiful places here in Arizona and being alone and just worshiping God. Um, I'd say that has helped me connect with Jesus so well over the years. And there is an emotional connection because I feel like I have a relationship with Jesus. It's not just read some words on a page and live a right life. It's, right. I want to know Jesus. I want to experience uh, time with you. Um, so that's more of the salad, solitude aspect. Um, I'd like Jinky to share a little bit though about Sabbath. Like Sabbath is something I think that has been super helpful for us in the last um, five or six years. Yeah, I definitely struggled in the beginning of my Christian life with running around and um, going on my own power, but I've realized that there's only one me <laughs> and I need to take care of myself. And if Jesus did it often, then who am I to not do the same? And so it's really energized my spirit, my soul, and, you know, my kids watch, you know, I don't want my, to be a chicken with its head cut off and um, being constantly busy, but it's, it's okay to take, like, this has been our conviction for the last six, seven years, but Mondays have always been our Sabbath. And we take time to worship and pray and spend time with the family and board games, electronics off. And that has always been just a part of who we've been and who we are. And, um, it's been such a benefit for our family and for my own heart to just take care of ourselves spiritually, emotionally, physically. That's great. That's great. Last question. Any advice for those who are working in the secular world and who dream of doing something different for God? I mean, just maybe a career change or you know, I'd like to go here on this mission team. I want to try this. You know, we, we talked last night about the mission to Flagstaff. Um, 
any advice for those who are kind of weighing that type of a decision that's scary, frightening, uncertain? Well, I, I'd say one aspect is definitely dream big. You know, our God is, you know, Lord of heaven and earth. He rules the cosmos. Um, he loves it when we step out in faith and, and do things way beyond our comfort zone. Because, I mean, look at what God did through us. It's not about experience. It's not about having all the credentials. Um, you know, I don't have a divinity degree. Um, it, you know, it's, 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 it's taking a step of faith. Because when we were going through this, I remember an elder telling me, no, Braxton, I believe God can use you here, but you're not typically, you're not typical ministry material, at least from his point of view. Like, you're not a type A personality. I said, no, I am not. I'm a thinker. <laughs> I'm a thinker and a dreamer. And, you know, I, I definitely am more on the relational aspect of things. Um, but dream big, you know, pray and, and, and get a lot of advice. I mean, we got tons of advice, many prayers. Um, so, so that's the first thing, you know, pray and dream big. That's the first advice I would give, you know, along with a lot of advice through there. But number two, following Jesus into the ministry is a call to suffer. I think that's something that um, might scare people off. You know, to follow Jesus, period, is going to involve suffering. But go into the ministry, you will suffer the way that Jesus suffered. Um, it will be hard. It will challenge you. It will... If there's any selfish ambition in your heart, Jesus will root it out because it's not about us. <laughs> right. It's about him. But one of the verses I wanted to share a scripture in Mark 10, 29. And this scripture has meant a lot to me in the past five years. Um, it says, truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother, or father, or children, or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And that promise has meant a lot to me because, yes, there, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be hardship. Ministry can be a lonely place. And um, there's, you know, I used to think I knew what ministry was because I had so many relationships with ministers. But Rob, as you know, until you serve, until you're actually in that seat, let me tell you, you don't know what ministry is. You, you right. cannot possibly understand what it is. But the blessing of that is, is if you're willing to suffer for Jesus and the blessings I mean, we think about the friendships we now have worldwide. We have some dear friends we still stay in touch with with Guam. Mm -hmm. uh, we have relationships in the Philippines. Um, we have relationships with disciples in Chicago and relationships with disciples here in Phoenix. You know, we, we've come out to Tucson to meet uh, your church, Rob. And I, I, just, I just say God's blessings so far outweigh the challenges that why would you not do this? Right. Um, what an incredible blessing. I mean, Jesus says a hundred times, and we absolutely have seen that play out in our life. That's awesome. That's great. Well, Braxton and Jinky, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for sharing from your life, and your example is inspiring to me. 
because I believe there are many, many people that entertain the idea of doing something different, doing something out of the ordinary, something exceptional, and they waver. And yet you guys considered it and then went forward with it. And there were awesome miracles and there were some really tough and challenging times. They were suffering, just as you mentioned. And yet people got saved and the gospel was advanced. And I think you're a great example and I hope an inspiration to others who are considering doing something similar uh, to what you decided to do. I want to wish you guys all the best going forward. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. And I want to say thank you today for listening to the Rob Skinner Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, do me a favor. Just hit the subscribe button and let your friends and family know about the podcast. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.